You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. I'm pumped about this episode. We're talking about a subject matter that is so overlooked in our world today, especially for us adults. Kids have this dialed in, but as we get a little bit older, we start to put this on the back burner and we don't realize how impactful it is in all areas of our lives. In fact, this subject can influence upwards of 1,200 different genes in our brain, all right? The expression of genes that keep us younger, longer, that bring more vitality to our lives, creativity, problem solving. The subject is play. All right, play. When's the last time that you played, that you got out and just played? And for many of us, we grow up, it's just a part of our lives. It's something we can't wait to do, right? Recess, all right? Recess was major. If people ask me growing up, like, what is your favorite thing about school? Recess, all right? That'd be the first thing that comes up. This is when we play kickball, all right? We play kickball. Uh, when I was in third grade, I came in contact with the kickball legend. All right, it was a little Vietnamese kid, my friend, and his name was Say Cow. All right, Say Cow. He was a, a living legend in kickball. All the rest of us, we'd kick the ball as hard as we could. It would stay in the in the yard. Not Say Cow. He's kicking it over the fence. All right, watch out, cars. That red ball is coming. But we had such a great time just playing and trying different things, playing different sports, playing dodgeball, just running around, playing tag, freeze tag. You can't move. Somebody tags you a freeze tag, you can't move. Your friend got to come untag you, right? And just the different creative things that we would do playing as well and just using our imaginations. Little did we know that this was actually training us for things that we're going to experience later in life and how to adapt to situations and how to control ourselves and things that we're going to be talking about today. And actually, this is just a small morsel, small piece of the information that's featured in a new book from our special guest today. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. Now, one of the times that I first met our guest was in relationship to some of my friends and family over at On It. Now, for me, I love On It because number one, my favorite thing that On It carries is their MCT oil. It's a emulsified MCT oil that's kind of like a coffee creamer. And the reason that I love it so much is highlighted in recent research coming out of Yale that found that even though there are all of these, there's hundreds of different nutritive components of food that we know about, even thousands, and there's so much more that we still yet to discover, there's only a handful, there's only a couple of dozen that can actually cross the blood-brain barrier and actually feed our brain cells to actually nourish our neurons, which for many of us, we've been uh, conditioned, and this is what I was taught in my conventional university, that when we're born with our brain cells, is basically what we have for our entire lifetime. They can grow and adapt and change based on neuroplasticity, but what you get is what you got. But today we know that there is something called neurogenesis and you can actually create new brain cells in different parts of the brain. Not all, but it's really fascinating stuff. But it is important to take care of the brain cells that we have and we need to feed these brain cells and your brain has a different diet than the rest of your body. It's referred to as neuronutrition. And MCTs are one of those rare nutrients that can cross the blood-brain barrier and actually feed your brain cells. That's how powerful this nutritive 
factor in food really is. And so this is just number one reason why I love the MCT oils. Another way that they can feed your brain is the fact that MCTs can trigger your body to produce more ketones. Now, we all know that we can produce more ketone bodies, which is an alternative fuel source, kind of a cleaner burning fuel by having a low carbohydrate, higher fat diet through fasting. But even if you're not doing either of those things, if you consume MCTs, your body produces ketones, which also are able to cross the blood brain barrier and feed your brain cells. Super powerful stuff. Highly recommend you check it out because not only do they have the kind of clear MCT oil that you'll see a lot of different places, but they have emulsified MCT oil, which again is kind of like a coffee creamer. You can add to your coffees and teas. Super easy to mix in. They taste phenomenal. And I use them pretty much every day. You know, it's 365 days in a year, maybe 366 on that leap year. 362 of those days I'm having on its MCT oil. All right, I love it so much. One of my favorite things. Hop over to check them out. You get 10% off everything they carry over at onit.com forward slash model. That's O-N-N-I-T.com forward slash model. You get 10% off everything that they carry. Pop over there, check them out. And now let's get to the Apple Podcast Review of the Week. Another five-star review titled, Literally Love Every Show by Meme.go. The information is exactly what I need to know, I'm interested in, without all the fluff you usually experience in shows with similar content. That does not mean the subject content, depth, or credibility is light instead of fluff. The show is filled with insightful, beneficial, eye-opening, and motivating facts, studies, and stories from both the host and reputable guest speakers. Become a better you by listening. Awesome. And speaking of reputable guests, our guest today is absolutely incredible. And by the way, thank you so much for leaving me that review over on Apple Podcasts. Please, guys, keep the reviews coming. I appreciate it so much. And on that note, let's get to our special guest and topic of the day. Our guest today is Aaron Alexander, and he is a pioneering manual therapist and movement coach whose clients range from A-list Hollywood celebrities to professional athletes and everyone in between. And since 2014, he's been interviewing the world's preeminent thought leaders on physical and psychological well-being on his top-rated Align podcast. And when Aaron isn't writing or speaking, he can be typically found somewhere in the Pacific Ocean or on the original Muscle Beach in Santa Monica, California, doing his incredible movement practices and teaching. And he's got an awesome new book, and that's what we're going to be diving into today. So let's jump into this conversation with the awesome Aaron Alexander. I was curious, and you got into it a little bit, but what was your initial interest in this space in health and fitness and movement and i know you you described yourself as like at one point early on as like a baby giraffe i think yeah i'm still working on it <laughs> so what was what was the the catalyst for you initially uh deep insecurity um you know so going into like before getting a, a if a photo would happen which wasn't as regular as it is is now in high school right. and middle school uh, but if a photo would transpire, I would, I, and I knew it was about to happen, I would literally run to the bathroom or someplace where people couldn't see and go and like do some push-ups and some pull-ups and kind of like do some clench my muscles in order to bring blood flow so I could be more vascular and have this like pump. So creating this conspicuous show of uh, strength yeah. in the show in relation to like the elephant and the brain stuff we were talking about before. And so for me wow. to feel, and I was like, 
um, obsessing over bodybuilding and like like most of the unhealthy ways, minus steroids, I never took steroids. Um, you know, so I would in high school slash middle school, but especially high school, I would go to the bathroom every two hours, like without a doubt, every two hours. Like I didn't have an alarm, but I knew you know the the hours, and I would slam some kind of protein smoothie or some mm -hmm. kind of creatine, glutamine, whatever acronym, ene drink that I could find. Uh, because I had the belief that if I was small, um, I mean, really what it boiled down to is like, I wasn't enough or I wouldn't be worthy of love. I think getting into like, kind of like Tony Robbins type talk, um, you know, so that was the beginning stage of that. And then perhaps a story that would make sense with that was like a sensation of feeling unsafe. And so if I feel unsafe in my home environment, then my story that may or may not be accurate is it would make sense that I wanted to pack on and kind of build up the barriers and the walls around my, my biological environment. Mm -hmm. And then eventually you do that long enough, people can't come in because you've built the wall so high and then you start to almost suffocate inside of yourself. And then you have to figure out, okay, how do I break this thing down, reverse engineer the system and build from a, a healthier place. Yeah. Um, and that's, I'm like still working on it. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. It's it's like it's it's amazing because we're always in process. You yeah. know what I mean? And I think it's and just to take a quick step back. Yeah. I'm curious. What did you feel you needed to create this outside? You know, uh, this exterior of you know strength or courage. Like, what were you feeling unsafe about? Um, well, so I, I mentioned in the in the introduction of the book. So my dad randomly beforehand he was like. Throughout my life, he was like, he'd take me to ice hockey practice. At like, we'd get up at like five in the morning and go to ice hockey practice. And, you know, we'd go on hikes. And he was a falconer. We'd like hunt bunnies with hawks on our arms. It was a very interesting upbringing. Um, and he was like a successful stockbroker and, you know, left, led this very um, idealistic life in a sense. My mom, is, she was like third runner up to Miss America. And my dad was this GQ model superstar guy. It was just, it's very like, wow as perfect as you could possibly envision, um, that was that. Then all of a sudden something happened in his mind or life or I don't know what exactly, but he became uh, deeply addicted to crack cocaine. And um, from there he got into like, he was like selling women. He was like got into pimping. Um, he'd come home with like bullet holes in the car sometimes. Um, he'd have like black eyes from getting like beat. He was like at the absolute bitter end of his life like every day repeatedly I would kind of rehearse okay today's the day I'm gonna get mm -hmm. back he's not gonna be there mm -hmm. you know so there was this sense of um, and I think I think really what it comes down to likely is and now by the way he's done really well he's like in love and he's like you know he's like sells insurance and he's looking to get a place in Florida and he's like totally turned his life around which is really fantastic yeah. which feels really good um, but yeah, I think there was a like a deep sense of abandonment, uh, like the, the the primary male figure in my life, which may perhaps be why I have kind of like an affinity towards respecting you a lot, because you very obviously show like this really strong presence as a male figure in your home, mm. which is a huge deal, um, like a really huge deal. And uh, you know, so I think I had this seed of abandonment, perhaps kind of instilled at a, a really pivotal point yeah. in like a young yeah. boy's life. And then from there, you start seeking out these various different signaling devi devices to kind of uh, seek 
love and validation and acceptance. Yeah. That's a story. Yeah. I don't know how no. accurate that is. <laughs> that, but <laughs> this, it's, it's from your perspective. But for me, man, it's just like when I see you and when I met you, this was years ago. These are the things you would never know about somebody if you just see them and you see what they're up to. Yeah. But it's that story and it defines who we are. And it's so amazing because those are like the, the, the catalyst for you to really do the work that you're doing today and your empathy and your ability to understand people, help people through stuff. Um, so what, what was the shift though that took place from, you know, the bodybuilding obsession to something that's more, you know, I, we can use the word holistic. Yeah. I think naturally, you know, like there's a Einstein quote, the particle is contained and regulated by it, by the, by its field. You know, so like the feel like you and I are these particles, everybody in the room, we're all these little particles and we're all being contained and regulated by this room. These lights are, are affecting us. The window's affecting us. Each personality, we're like in this stew, mm. you know, so by you changing your environment, sometimes that's the most powerful thing you can do right. to create a mental, emotional, physical shift. You know, so as long as you're in a, a, a toxic aquarium, you know, it's like, we're like, oh, I'm feeding the fish all the organic food. I got all the on it supplements. Like the fish is still sick. They're on it. What? They're on it. They're like, what's going on? We're like, well, have you checked the, like the water in the aquarium? Like the field that the, that the fish is contained in is regulating it in such a way that's, um, it's, it's not possible for it to all of a sudden just become that, that vision that you have for the fish. And so, uh, when I was 18, I moved to Maui, Hawaii and uh kind of just like up and left lancaster pennsylvania like amish country wow um, that's a move move right there it was a move move wow yeah <laughs> yeah and i think just being there like i just got back we did a, a bow hunting trip and kind of did like a revisit it was very interesting to get to go back um literally just a few weeks ago and re-see and experience that environment from the eyes that i have now as opposed to the eyes from you know 12 years ago and realize like man just being there you can't help but be changed you know so that's in part inspiration for you know, at least a section of the book that you become your environment kind of yeah. like bruce lee stuff um you know so by being around those clouds and the open sky and the cold water from the waterfalls and you know then also being around the other people that made a choice to be in that place and they're also at the same time being formed by that place with you it's like you're getting you're going into like a, it's like a new stew, new ingredients. You yeah, can't help but be changed by it's it. It's a human gumbo, man. That's, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. You know, obviously, and for folks that are listening, you've worked with a lot of people. You've helped a lot of people. You're creating a movement now with the Align Method. And for me, one of the things that really jumped out, and even seeing you sitting here, for those who are listening, what Guys, make sure you're checking us out on YouTube as well. <laughs> but my man has got this incredible alignment and even how he's sitting in the chair, um, cross leg, uh. and just you're, you're the walking representation of what you talk about, mm. first of all. But one of the things that really jumped out was not just the fact that posture matters, right? When we talk about alignment, posture is one of the terms we use. Yeah. But you dug in in the book and talked about how our posture actually affects our thoughts our posture is a representation of what's happening with us emotionally. Yeah. And when when I when you hit that note, I started to just look around and see it in my environment. Right. And I saw my son, Brayden, he was trying to cook some eggs. He's eight and he's he can cook eggs, but it's been a little bit. And he's trying to cook them differently. He's trying to get the flip boy, right? He's trying to do a flip. And so 
he did the whole thing, cracked the eggs, and he's doing the flip, but the flip was not successful. And immediately, boom, shoulders drop, head went down. And I went over and I adjusted him. I lifted his chin up, lifted his shoulders back. Oh, and I was like, man, n nobody is good at something the first time. You know, like you, it takes a little bit of practice. And so he immediately, you know, it se I seen it change his state, just adjusting his posture. And I saw him responding with posture that was conducive of losing. Mm -hmm. And he'd probably, if he tried to flip again in that hunched over state, it's probably gonna suck again. Yep. And so can you talk a little bit about that and in, in just some of the research and how our posture affects our thoughts and our emotions? Yeah, yeah. So there's one really interesting um, study that we mentioned there was, uh, was done in, in San Francisco State University. And they had two different groups of students uh, going into what we call, we, I, I break down five postural archetypes and the relationship with the personalities and felt state of that physical experience. Um, and so they had one group of students go into what we call the mopey posture uh, and then access different memories from that position. And then they had another group go into what we call the aligned position, which also like Amy Cuddy, Harvard researcher, you could call that like this, like the superwoman or you know, power pose, going into upright, shoulders back, arms up overhead and accessing memories from that. And what we found, you you alluded to Tony Robbins stuff before, amongst other, other things, other people get into to what we were talking about as well, but we're continually anchoring certain positions and music or anything to emotions and memories and states. Mm -hmm. So when people are in that hunched over position, you've been anchoring that position since you've been a child that, oh, Sean lost, or oh, Sean sad, or oh, she's break you're breaking up with me? Mm -hmm. You know, or oh, I can't. I'm not. I don't. I, I'm losing the job. Like I no, I didn't make. Like you, your your shoulders roll in. You have that medial rotation. The the head of the humerus comes in. You got hyperkyphosis of the spine. Maybe valgus knees and like whatever anatomical description you want to put on it. It's essentially just ways of saying the body starts to collapse. Mm -hmm. When the body collapse, that's an indication of defeat or sadness or disconnect or disassociation. And so when the people, the students were going into that pattern, all of a sudden it's easier for them to drum up these memories of feeling bummed out. Yeah. When they go into more of this other upright position, well, we've anchored that position throughout the, the history of at least our lives, I would say beyond into ancestry and, and beyond, but at least the history since you've been like a little baby, when you go into this open expressive position, that happens when something beautiful happens. You know, your mother loves you or, you know, you, you won the soccer game. Or you're like, we did it. You know, no matter whether you're you know blind, deaf, you know, what, whatever it may be, everybody wins in the same position. Yeah. Everybody loses the same position. Watch a hockey game at the end of the game. Yeah, if they're going through and doing it. like the little dabs and fist bumps, yeah. you can see the team like, okay, that team won, that team lost. Yeah. You know, and so all of the, we're continually tuning our nervous systems and our personalities and even our, our memories based off of the structure of our body. You know, so something that I say in the book is like your, your cells don't have eyes, but they can feel you. And you literally, a, an unnecessary term for that is called mechanotransduction. Mm -hmm. you know, so as you go through and you twist and turn and pull and compress your cells, they end up having a biological chemical response based off of that movement. Right. Mm. You know, so right now, as we're sitting here, we have a choice to go through and mechanotransduce ourselves into feeling, you know, more creative or more confident or more strong or circulating lymphatic fluid and blood and interstitial and all that stuff. Um, or we can mechanotransduce ourselves into collapse, 
And if you look around the modern world, ever since you know the disease of affluence or affluenza, you know the, the the royalty sits up in the high chairs, and then they look down at the peasants who are going into those positions that have been self-tuning mechanisms for millennia. You know, a person that goes down and squats all the way down to the ground in Thailand, smoking a cigarette, and eating some pad thai or whatever, they're literally tuning their hips, they're tuning their ankles, they're uh, circulating all those vital fluids for their health. You know, and so uh, we have the choice to be smarter than the present mold that forms us into um, kind of a statistic in a way. Mm. You know, and with statistics, there's like Mark Twain said, there's lies, damn lies, and then there's statistics. <laughs> right. So you can kind of paint the statistics depending upon what you want to put your, your lens on and create that story. But as far as statistics that are mentioned in this podcast um, and my podcast, and they seem very apparent, statistically... Western culture is veering more towards, you know, usage of anxiety medication and antidepressants and even like suicidal ideation among adolescents, you know, among, you know, especially white middle-aged men who conceivably would be like the king of the world right now in this present culture. They're, for whatever reason, coming to the point where they want to end it. You know, so like, what is that? You know, and so the, the, the aspect of that conversation that I see uh, there's a deficit is the mechanical conversation around all of those sensations. Mm. You know, and so it's easy to say, oh, it's the tail lights in the bottles or it's the electromagnetic frequencies in the lights or it's the blue light or it's the loneliness or it's that, you know, I, I think loneliness is a big one, actually. But um, the thing that I don't hear enough of is the, the movement conversation. And so that was a big part of why we wrote the Align Method. Yeah, man, that's so powerful. So just to recap a little bit, our our movement and our posture is literally connected for years and years of our lives to certain emotions. And so by changing our posture, our brain is kind of hardwired. Those connections, those neural nets mm. are connected to certain feelings. And when you gave that example of the hockey team, the one ones that win and lose, even on the losing squad, when you see the slumped over shoulders, you'll see a couple of guys that are still proud and standing in a different stance. Usually the team captain yeah. that's going to go rustle the guys up and let them know, hey, this was just this experience. We're going to come back next time. Right. right. So we have the ability to conscientiously and kind of uh, create the habit of changing our state through changing our posture. And both of them kind of mirror each other. That's Is right. that correct? Yeah. Okay. Well, so that's the same thing we were talking about, like the whole Ramda stuff and identifying with something deeper than just, okay, I am my victory in this hockey game, you know, or I am the stock market, or I am the housing market, or I am, you know, any of that, the success of this podcast. If I attach myself to that, then I'm in really slippery, vulnerable territory. But in the end, it's like the difference between infinite games and finite games, which is an interesting read. Um, you know, we ideally, we can be living in a world where we are playing infinite games and the goal of the game is to keep playing. Mm. You know, it's like if I'm just like smashing my opponent, you know, it might feel good temporarily, but like I want my opponent to come back. You know, like ideally, in the end, like the longest longitudinal study was done in Harvard and started, I think it was like 1936. And it was the, about um, they were tracking or following people throughout their whole entire lives, including their kids, their offspring. And what they found is the people that, and I'm pretty sure, almost positive you already know about this one, uh, the people that were the healthiest into old age were the people that had significant relationships. Yeah. 
and they felt connected and they felt like they had a tribe and they felt like they had a purpose. You know, so if your goal is to just, you know, go around smashing your opponent and, you know, being the best, it's like, well, you really, you, you want, you know, Jordan Peterson said like the, the way to play the game is play the game that's here invited back. Mm. You're like, we don't want to smash the game. Yeah. <laughs> and so at the end of the game is like, yeah, if you don't identify with it um, and the whole time you were just grateful to, to be there in the first place, like think like there's so many people at any time you can be immensely grateful for everything that you have or be just completely bummed out and, and miss the whole thing. It's like literally just a lens shift change. That's true. And that's like Victor, I know I'm kind of bouncing around, but Victor Frankl, the guy that wrote uh, Man's Search for, for Meaning, really important book. Um, that was, he called himself, he's like, he's like, I'm more of an optometrist than a psychologist. You know, so what I'm doing is I'm changing people's vision ever so slightly. And then from there, you know, then that's, that's the shift. From there, their life starts to, starts to change. And so if we can go in and realize like at any moment you have everything that you could ever possibly need. Um, and also there's the choice to kind of neglect all that and just say, woe is me. Mm, right. Facts. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is a good transition point to, uh, and this is one of the special things that's in your book talking about the importance of play. Mm -hmm. So yeah. you even noted that play in the, in the research, which this is just crazy and I want people to get this, but it's been found that play in this experience of like, even that word, we got to kind of define it a little bit, but it affects like 1200 brain genes, mm. the expression of certain genes just by implementing play into our lives. So why did you feel the need to put this in the book? And first of all, let's kind of define what it is because you just mentioned smashing the opponent. <laughs> so is this, <laughs> is this together with that? It could be. Um, so play is another one of those self-tuning mechanisms that the human animal has had on board since forever to heal itself. Yeah. You know, kind of like the stuff we were referring to before, like naturally there's certain positions that you want to kind of go into that many cultures do, such as spending time on the ground that, you know, they call them archetypal postures of repose is a guy, Philip Beach, Muscles and Meridians book is what he referred to that as. And we kind of mirror that in, in the Align Method book. Um, naturally, the body wants to go into these positions, look at your dog, look at your kids. They do these things and you're like, huh, what, what is that dog doing that down dog position? He always does that. You know, is that he's trying to be cool? It's like, no, no, his body at a deeper subconscious level knows that that's helpful with opening up his lungs and his shoulders and, and all that. Uh, why do those ducks or penguins or dolphins or humans, why are they inclined to play with each other? Like what a waste of time. Hmm. You know, and what you find out is that if we can create that, uh, which you do really well with your family again, and just yourself and your life in general, it seems like you perceive the world from more of a, a filter or a lens of, of play, which I think is one of the most invaluable things that any person can learn from yeah. just, you know, experience in life. Um, but that social engagement with another being is the fastest way to jump one's autonomic nervous system, that part of their nervous system that we like we can't control, but we kind of can because we can augment the environment, back into a more rest, digest, healing, restorative state. 
Now, so if you are, again, you're looking for these supplements and I'm taking melatonin because my sleep's off and I'm taking 5-HTP because my serotonin's funny and I've done all the, I got all the supplements, man. You know, it's like, well, when was the last time you lightened up and had some human contact and like had a wrestle with somebody? Because that's all you wanted to do when you were 10. And then we got the signal that it's not so appropriate to do that because you need to stay inside the room, inside the walls, inside the books, stay still or else you have some mental disorder. Mm. And so we learned that at a young age. And during that time, our deeper biology is pushing up against those walls and saying, I want to grow. <laughs> and the teacher's like, mm-mm. You know, so at some point, play is kind of, uh, I think, shamed perhaps for some in our lives. And right, it's considered yeah. like childish yeah. or Stop nonsensical. Playing. Stop playing. <laughs> Why are you playing? You know, it's like, it's like, you know, like Alan Watts talks about, uh, you know, a, a serious relationship. He's like, I would never want to be in a serious relationship. That sounds terrible. Yeah. I want to be in a loving relationship, a nurturing relationship, a playful relationship, a dynamic relationship. The second that you and I, Sean, are in a serious relationship, I'm ready for the door. Yeah, that's scary to me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, coming in from my culture, there's this term that's used a lot, like you play too much. Right. You know what I mean? So it's just like we're already kind of... Um, cultivated to be more serious, right? To stop playing, get a job, grow yeah. up. And this is a true story. Just last night, I man, I was working on a project all day. Like there's a deadline and just, and I came downstairs and my son, Braden, just because this is the environment that we've created and we've done this many times, he's sitting on, we got a rolling chair on this hardwood floor that should not be there, by the way. <laughs> but somebody just always ends up on it. And he sits on, he's like, that, can you push me around on the on the roller chair? And it, we don't just push around like I go as fast as I can around the house. And there's all kinds of there's stairs. Yeah. Like there's all kinds of treacherous situations. But we're just rolling around, running around, like literally like within 60 seconds of me coming downstairs from all of this tension, you know. And so we did that. And then after dinner, my oldest son, who's 19, and my eight-year-old. They were just like fighting for like 20 minutes, right? Just play fighting, you know? It's going yeah. back and forth. They're hitting each other. They're rolling around. They're tackling each other. They're throwing objects. An arrow got involved. I don't I don't know where it even came from. <laughs> um, but in literally, and of course, like we get to the point as parents, like, you know, the, would you guys stop now? You know what I mean? And they're just having a good time. And so I catch it in my mind, like, no, they're good. They're having a good time, even though there's some screaming mm-hmm. going on. Uh, they're having a good time. And so just remembering that and for me to engage in it more. Yeah. Because a lot of times I start it, you know, and I get to the point of like, okay, that's enough. You know what I mean? But for me, it's just being aware of it in my mind and engaging in the play because, dang, it feels so good and it's mm-hmm. so fun. And we all feel so much more connected, which is a side effect that you don't really even think about. It just happens, yeah. you know? So I'm so grateful that you put this in the book and the research on it because it's such an important thing and something we could take more advantage of. Yeah, so so the within that, there's something like with, with dogs. I mean, there's so much there to what you just said. There's like dogs. A young puppy naturally wants to bite. It wants to learn to bite. It wants to yeah. use its jaw. You know, yeah. So it's learning how to control its bite reflex. And so if you're like, no, mm-mm, mm-mm, no, no, no. 
all that time that, you know, deducing out like all the neurological development and such from getting to use the jaw and go through those ranges of motion, just it being able to learn how to effectively learn boundaries. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is too much bite, not enough bite. It becomes such a precise mechanism to know yeah. down to like the, you know, the smallest little decimal of a fraction of a distance of, okay, that's the perfect amount. When your kids are doing that, they're learning a lesson that they absolutely will never be able to access in a textbook. If you teach them about, oh, this is boundaries, this is respect, the time that your son all of a sudden like started crying or like decided like he had to slap him because it was too much, like that, we had a learning experience. Mm -hmm. It was just great. Right. You know, but instead we try our best to put things down into these two-dimensional models and contain it and put inside of these boxes and like, okay, we'll get everything from the book. No, but there's a, a the recent Michael Moore documentary. I think it's, it's called Where to Invade Next, Who to Invade Next. Mm. Have you seen this one? I haven't. Oh, it's good. Highly recommend it. Um, and he study or goes to different countries, mostly in Europe, and he invades their ideas to bring them back to the United States. And he brings this flag and he like puts it down in school systems in Finland and whatnot. And what he found was the system. I think it was, it might have been Finland or Norway. Uh, it's irrelevant where where the place was. You watch the documentary, but the it was the best school system in the world. Like the students, you know, their GPAs are great. They're just like, they're, they're killing the school system. And what they find with that place is that they have actually more recess. They go to school later. They get out earlier. Homework is not a thing. Because like if you're going to be, you're going to come here and sit in this room like we are now. And we're sitting down and we're you know, talking. And we're exchanging papers and documents and doing all this stuff. When you get done with that. You need to go play. Yeah. You need to consolidate those memories and that information, and you need to kind of allow yourself to go into, uh, like, unwind. Yeah. You know, it's the other side of the coin. Yeah, absolutely. And I literally, I wrote down when we we're talking about play. I wrote training next to it a few mm. minutes ago before you mentioned that. Yeah. Because it's just it's training for how we live our lives. Absolutely, man. I love that, man, and trying to uncover how to address boundaries and how much tension to use in certain situations. I love this so much. Um, <laughs> one of the things in, in you know, talking about the mechanotransduction yeah. and just kind of leaning back on that, I want to talk about Davis's law mm-hmm. and yeah. how, because I mentioned how our environment is kind of set up in such a way, but it's not just the physical stuff. It's also, there's an, a mental, there's a mental and emotional structure in the household as well. But our environment itself, the physical environment, literally shapes our bodies, shapes mm-hmm. the way that we look, the way that our bodies are structured. Can you talk a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So our, our body, I mean, we continually have, you could call it fibroblasts and osteoblasts and osteoclasts and, you know, the, these blasts and clasts that are the, uh, the blasts are building tissue and the clasts are, or maybe you can remember is chewing tissue. You know, so throughout the day, so that's like, for people listening, you can look up fibroblasts and fibroclasts and osteoclasts and osteoblasts. Uh, you continue, right now as we are sitting down having this conversation, we were both under construction. Yeah. It never stops. You know, so we have this belief, maybe not me, maybe me, uh, maybe I've learned this belief, but it seems, it seems you know, like it goes beyond that, uh, that when you're in the gym, that's when your body's building. And when you're at the yoga class, okay, now we're, we're doing yoga, you know, or Pilates or what have you. Uh, but the reality is your body, like so many things, it doesn't know, it doesn't have boundaries like that. 
It doesn't know the difference of, okay, now Sean's using dumbbells and now Sean's drinking tea. It just knows that wherever Sean is guiding this ship, we're going to follow suit and kind of build because we trust, we trust Sean's direction. And so right now as we're sitting here, we're literally going through this process. You can imagine scaffolding, wrapping our whole body and all of these cells, tearing down old patterns and building up new patterns. Mm. And so if we can start to bring some attention into the way that we inhabit ourselves on a momentary basis, mm. then all of a sudden, literally your whole entire day can become an opportunity yeah. for developing your mind and your body and your movement. It's like a hashtag thing that I use. You know, so every moment truly is an opportunity if we have the basic mechanical understanding um, and like a splash of intentionality. Uh, that's the recipe. You know, along with like, you know, some care and acceptance. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so for me, I just think about how our culture has shifted recently yeah. and our bodies just, and I don't think, I, we get this with extreme circumstances. Like if somebody has a cast on or yeah, if they're, right. if they're uh, bedridden, you know, they're confined to, um, you know, a certain situation where they, you know, they're, they can't get out of the bed. But this happens all the time. Like our bodies become adapted to chair sitting. They become very mm -hmm. good at chair sitting. Yeah, great. And so then we, when we try to go and do a hip hinge and lift something, you know, a lot of people, I'll, you know, when we think about injuries and, you know, I've spent time in, you know, uh, physical therapist offices and, you know, just all these different health professionals, people aren't getting hurt like deadlifting. Nope. They're getting hurt picking up pillows pillows yeah. like picking up a, a bag of groceries you know like a, a bag of just uh, toilet paper you yeah. know what i mean just because their body is so adapted to their environment which is for most of us it's spending a lot of time sitting mm -hmm. and so just bringing that up and understanding that and in that section i think this was the, the section in the book but you talked about some of these uh, concepts we've talked about proprioception mm -hmm. on the show before but you also talked about um, neuroception and uh, in, intercept, interception, 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 yeah. right? I just said interception. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good too. Interception. Football, play, let's yeah. get in that. That's Shout out to my son. Yeah. He had pick six <laughs> recently at his college game. But um, interception, neuroception, proprioception. Yeah. So let's talk about those three. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, the neuroception one is kind of a new one. Uh, from Stephen Porges, polyvagal theory is kind of the origin of that. And uh, essentially, it's the state of our, kind of what we've been talking about the whole time, and, and the, the, the social engagement kind of jumping you up the autonomic ladder back into a, a rest, digest, heal state. Neuroception, your body, your nervous system is continually regulating how safe it feels in the environment. So if you're a person that feels really safe and supported, um, in your environment, all of a sudden it sends this signal through your nervous system that, okay, cool, it's okay to, to grow and to repair and to restore cells. And, you know, if I'm a woman, I'm going to go through my menstrual cycle. If I'm, you know, your body's like, okay, it's a safe time to work on that stuff. Versus if you get the subconscious cue that I don't feel safe in this environment, then all of a sudden you're going to start to wind up and kind of pupils are going to dilate and you're going to contract and shoulders might raise up and you know the sternocleidomastoid and the trapezius and scale all the facial muscles they'll start to kind of tense up and that's that indication like you can see this have you ever been around a dog we were talking about the, the your rottweiler growing up have you ever been around a dog that all of a sudden they you can tell they switch and it's like 
ooh, this is, get your face away from that dog. Yeah, absolutely. Like, this is, this is bad. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's fine, but we need to slowly yeah, walk away it. from the dog. You can see it. And even if it's subtle, like, you can even feel it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you seeing? You're seeing maybe the hairs rise up a little bit. You're seeing maybe the neck stoops a little bit. You're seeing literally, you might subconscious and not realize you're literally looking at the shape of their pupils. Mm -hmm. And you see that dot, he's like, okay, he's like in fight or flight, like ready, he's ready to, to go right now. And so what we're looking at that, we're looking at that dog's autonomic nervous system. He's just being played by his environment and his history. And something triggered that moment where that dog had the experience of it's time to fight. Whereas some other dog, he might not have that experience at all, you know? And so if we can, that neuroception is kind of our, our deep subconscious sensation of, of safety in our environment. Mm -hmm. And then that kind of wraps into our postural patterns can create a feedback for how well and safe and secure that we feel in our environment. So we can start to kind of pull in these strings from different angles. Mm -hmm. um, interoception, not that we need to necessarily go in and bullet point define all of them, but interoception is the your a capacity ability to feel uh inward you know so feel like a, an exercise that i have in the in the book is to just feel your heartbeat you know so something people can play with is a nice way to check hrv which i know you've probably talked on here a lot about um is people can do it now you can put your uh hand i have my right hand on my my left wrist right now and just put it on the uh check your pulse just right behind the thumb and feel into that and as you're breathing can you start to notice as i breathe out that pulse will slow up a little bit as i breathe in that pulse will speed up a little bit and no matter what the heck is going on in your environment in that moment like i literally feel calmer right now just from like doing this mm -hmm. um people listening because they're being tuned by you by both of our voices they perhaps feel a little bit calmer as well uh, because we're always playing each other's nervous systems. You know, there's a whole chapter on sound. Um, you know, so that's a, a really beautiful, valuable practice is to start to pay attention to your internal world. Like culturally, we have, there's a there's a large from from my perspective a large deficit of observing our internal world. For the most people, like a large part of people listening to this right now, they'd be like, I don't even know what the hell he's talking. Inter observing my internal world? Like, what are you smoking? What are you talking about? Yeah. You know, because we're so culturally, we're much more materialistic, which is my origin story. If something wasn't like measurable and, you know, I could put it in a beaker and I could hold it and grab it. I was like, I'm not interested. You know, I just want the linear mechanics of what's going on. I'm very grateful for that background because it gave me a support and a structure and a container to put all this kind of beads and internal world talk into. I think we need to have both. Absolutely. Um, but in, with interoception, uh, it's that your ability to feel like, even like, oh, I have a stomach ache. Oh, you're, that's interoception. You're feeling like there's something going on in my belly. Mm -hmm. You know, so the more that we can become quiet, the more we can start to gain a relationship with, with what's happening from the inside. And then when you have a relationship with what, what's happening on the inside, and that inside can start to speak out, then the body can start to heal in a deeper layer or level than if I was always bombarding myself with more allopathic medicine and more foam rollers and more bands and more stuff. I will, I will do it. You know, so that's a very masculine way of healing the body. And then there's like the other side of the coin of kind of like, what if we just listen to the body? Mm. You know, perhaps there's some messages in the body that uh, I wouldn't necessarily be able to impose upon it from this stuff I learned in these books. 
Uh, maybe if I put the books down for a little bit and I just listen, maybe there might be some inner wisdom in there. Yeah, yeah, that's powerful. And awareness really starts a process of healing, obviously. And uh, I remember, I remember doing a show, and we were talking. This was really early on uh, about natural treatments for like migraines and headaches. We'll put that in the show notes. But there's an exercise that I would do with patients when they would come in. You know, they have migraines and things like that. Is just identifying. Okay, where is the headache? Right, and of course, like we do an exercise, eyes closed, and I'm not gonna do that now, just in case people are driving. But you basically, <laughs> close your eyes and you really scan and find out where is the headache, how big is it, yeah. what color is it, mm -hmm. right? And you start to see it, and you, and as we ask, like I would go back and repeat the questions, and again, just check out that episode, and it would change as you're observing it. It would change because instead of this being this big grand thing that's just overwhelming and you can't identify it, it's, it's happening within you. But mm -hmm. we're so, again, externally focused, like you said, we can't really identify where things are happening. So um, this is such a great exercise for just really being more present in our bodies. But how does this differ from proprioception? Yeah, right, I was gonna say, I was like, I never defined proprioception. So proprioception is, is your body's awareness of where your physical parts are in space. You know, so me growing up in like the the introduction of the book, I mentioned like the um, confused baby giraffe, bull cut, buck teeth, like the whole thing. My proprioception was a little funny because mm. uh, I had these long, lanky limbs, and they were like, you know, they were everywhere. What's the what's the blow up inflatable? guy that sells cars I don't know. like swinging Slender around man? Is yeah whatever man? that is <laughs> that was me um, you know I still have remnants of that inside um, and if we can start to gain some semblance of where our parts are in space uh, it's a much more mm, you feel more embodied more autonomous more stable more secure um, or you can go the other direction and veer more towards hypermobility and then you will start to feel, and there's a, a reason that people will tend to veer towards that. It gets into the postural archetypes that we talk about in the book. Yeah. Um, but you will see certain personality types will veer towards certain activities. Mm -hmm. you know, so a person that's really stretchy and they're vegetarian and they're, they love color on the wall and they're creative and all that. Uh, and they're just they just love yoga and ecstatic dance. Um, that's great. That's beautiful. Uh, but there may it's not 100%. But perhaps stability and support is not the easiest thing in their lives. You know, so maybe they might show up a little bit late. Maybe they have all these amazing ideas, but very rarely do any of them actually get done because they don't have that containment to mm. drive forward. Mm. You know, and then the other side of that spectrum would be more like a swall type person. Yeah. You know, where it's like they have all the linear structure, you know, they're just like slabs of muscle and just weight and push and they've got all that stuff. Um, but perhaps what they could use a little bit more of is a little bit more of like nurturing, a little bit more creativity, a little bit like less linearity in their world. And so we can converge different people because every person's a different ingredient for the stew. Yeah. Then we have this really beautiful recipe. Yeah. You know, so there's no one postural archetype that is better or worse. Uh, it's just you want to be able, you, you want to be cognizant and curate which ingredients you're kind of putting in the stew. Mm -hmm. So if you just surround yourself by all bendy people, then it's like, that's great. You'll all get along, but you might never get anything done. Right. 
This is awesome. And something that integrates all of these things is is play. That's and it, that's what's so powerful yeah. about it. You know, and it, for me, when I think of proprioception, I think some of the best athletes, you know, and even just in our own day-to-day -day lives, like we know if somebody's behind us, like they're, or they're too close to us, like we can mm -hmm. feel it. We're aware of our body in space. And so like that running back can just kind of know, like sometimes it seems uh -huh. like you might have eyes in the back of your head. But working on that, again, play helps with that. And the internal stuff that we've talked about, we've given a couple of exercises for that. So this helps to create an integrated whole person. Yeah. And which we all are, but we might not realize it. And so I want to talk a little bit more about some application and some exercises we can do to become more aligned. And we're going to do that right after this quick break. So sit tight. We'll be right back. When I was a kid, I don't know about you, but I grew up drinking Kool-Aid. But we also we were kind of broke as well. So again, moving to the environment, we had Flavor-Aid, okay? So it wasn't even like the legit Kool-Aid, it was Flavor-Aid. And it didn't quite taste as good, right? You had to put a little, little extra sugar. And the amount of sugar that we would use is gotta be a law against it. I mean, it's gotta be some kind of criminal act of like poisoning or something, but it would be like a cup in like a two liter uh, Kool-Aid concoction. You got like a cup or two of sugar you're just pouring in there. And that's how I grew up, right? Or Tang, do you remember Tang, right? Tang had a little hit you in the right here in the throat a little bit, you know, had a little Tang to it. But for me, you know, we had that experience, but Kool-Aid was not very portable, all right? It wasn't very portable unless, you know, when I was growing up and going to school, some kids would actually have a bag of Kool-Aid mixed with sugar. And they were straight, just like, put the finger in, lick it. It's like they were walking around like that or have some type of a, an object to be able to dip and to eat the Kool-Aid mixed with the sugar in the bag. It's a true story. Other than that, not portable in liquid form until they came out with the Kool-Aid Jammers. Okay, the Kool-Aid Jammers, a little plastic, but it was shaped like uh, the Coke bottle, but you twist the top, squirt it in, and that was the portability of Kool-Aid was now up-leveled. Since then, I have better moved on and better learned about the, the dangers. There's, I mean, artificial colors and flavors and the massive amount of sugar. Obviously, we know that that is not conducive to our health and wellness. And so, but what can we do to get some of these delicious flavor sensations? Because what the Kool-Aid package said was strawberry or fruit punch, right? But in reality, there's 0% fruit in the fruit punch, 0% strawberry in the strawberry. Right, But today, that idea has been up-leveled because what some of the best companies out there know is that we don't wanna to try to change society's behavior overnight. We wanna upgrade the things that people are already doing. So we know that people are gonna drink coffee. Let's find a way to upgrade that. If we know that people are gonna be drinking fruit punch and so-called juices, let's find a way to upgrade that. And that's what I have with the red juice blend with Organifi. So this isn't the artificial flavors and colors that we're used to. We're talking about real cold process acai, strawberry, cranberry, also medicinal mushrooms are in there as well, like cordyceps, blueberries in there to round it out, give it a little bit deeper color. And what I love about it, they've upgraded the Kool-Aid Jammer and now we have the Go Packs, the instant Go Packs of Organifi Red Juice. I just went on a trip to Phoenix 
And guess what I brought with me? Guess what I had in my Dora the Explorer backpack, all right? It's not that Dora the Explorer is on my backpack, but I'm being like Dora, all right? And so I have my red juice packets in my backpack on the airplane, open it up, pour it in the bottle. I'm getting a massive infusion of nutrition. So I was just in Phoenix hanging out with Sean T, who's been a guest on the show. Shanti is like the, I mean, talking about a fitness icon, he is the guy, you know? So I was there hanging out with him and his family and twin sanity, all right? He's got twins and it was just an awesome, awesome experience. But when I'm traveling now, I'm bringing my Organifi Go Packs with me and I highly encourage you to do the same thing. So again, they've got the new Go Packs right now. You need to check out that red juice formula. It's just incredible. Matter of fact, listen to this. I just came across a study and this was from researchers at the University of Michigan. They found that blueberry, which is in the Organifi Red Juice, blueberries have been found to affect genes related to fat burning, all right? So it's not just you eat something and it's supposed to do a thing or to manage, like how does it actually work? Well, everything in our bodies, our metabolism is regulated by our genes. So this is influencing genes that actually activate fat burning. That's really, really powerful stuff. And so they also found, this was in the Journal of Nutrition, showed that the consumption of blueberries was also able to reduce insulin resistance in study participants. I'm just gonna leave it at that, all right? That's enough right there, because there's so many different incredible studies that are finding the efficacy of these really powerful fit fruits. And it's again, low temperature process, low sugar, but it tastes yummy. Organifi Red Juice. So head over there, check them out right now. It's Organifi.com forward slash model. You get 20% off. All right, that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash model for 20% off. And now back to the show. All right, we're back and we're talking with Aaron Alexander about his new book, The Align Method that I have right here. Definitely pick this book up ASAP. And before the break, I mentioned that I want to talk about some more things that people can put into play. And I would love if you can share a couple of found foundational mobility techniques, mm -hmm. like the con contract relax, for example. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, so I, I think we can be, it can become confusing being in a body, you know, and it feels like it's just, it's complicated. Am I picking that thing up right? Am I breathing right? Am I looking right? Like, how do I, my walk, how, what's my gait pattern? Is this right? You know, and, and what we broke down in the, the third chapter of the book was basic fundamental principles to kind of like how to operate the body. So you think of your body kind of like a cell phone is a fine analogy, you know, where you just, if you understand basically how to use the apps, you know, you get on your Gmail and you press, cool, inbox, press the thing, press send up there. It's not that complicated. Uh, you don't need to know about the LED screen and the wires behind and it's transmitting out to space. Like you don't need to know any of that to effectively work your cell phone. So it's a similar thing with effectively working your body or driving your body. Um, so in particular, the, the contract relax is just a nice method that people can do to create like almost, it almost feels like, you, I'm sure you've used this technique before. Yeah. It's probably why you're asking about it. Change uh, it's almost like magic. Yeah. It's yeah. Nuts, man. <laughs> <laughs> so another way to say is PNF, uh, proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation. Just no, it's just fun to say. There's no no reason to remember that at all. Um, 
And essentially something that people can do right now is say you are kind of hunching over, looking at your phone and checking your messages, and then you're on the computer, and then you're driving in your car, and you're all these positions that are kind of bringing you into that forward uh, upper cross syndrome with your neck is another fancy term for like forward head posture or shoulders being rolled forward. Something you can do to uh, begin unwinding some of those patterns and almost like a, a, like a magical way uh, is first stand up nice and upright in what we call the aligned standing position, AKA Tadasana or mountain pose. Uh, so get yourself upright standing. And then from there, reach your, let's say your left hand, if we're gonna work on the left shoulder, down to the ground. So to create some length in within that, that the, the neck and the shoulder and all the way down in the hand, creating some length from your ear down to your fingertips essentially. And then from there, you could start to keep that length, keep reaching down to the ground, reach, 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 and then you go out to the side and then you could just grab a doorway or a wall or, or anything to kind of leverage off of. And then you're gonna slowly turn your body over to the right since we're doing the left hand. And then from this position, you'll feel a lengthening through all the way from that wrist all the way up through the neck you're turning your head to the right and then you can press that hand against the wall for just about five seconds hold that contraction and then i don't know if you wanted me to go through a whole thing but i think this is the easiest this is way good. to describe yeah, what yeah. it is um so you can hold that contraction for about five seconds you can go anywhere from like 20 percent to like even 80 percent if you want uh feel it out for you and then relax after that five seconds emphasize the exhalation because that exhalation puts you more into that stretchy rest calm digest parasympathetic state and then have a moment relax 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 and then do that process again two or three times and you will notice like it's almost like magic it's very yeah. fascinating it i i do the doorway stretch <laughs> when i do that man like for me and i've been doing this it's so crazy that i'm doing this again now recently but i got we, there's always something new so you get away from the basics sometimes yeah. and so i was having a little bit of trouble with my ac joint mm. and it was because of and you know when i went to see a physical therapist friend and he's just like i'm really impressed with your alignment yeah cool. i was like well, what's wrong with me then and then we did a couple of tests and just my uh like my overhead you know like i'm just my ability to pull my shoulders back was a little bit questionable, yeah. you know, compared to other things. And so I started to do the doorway stretch and doing the contract relax like I used to do and do like it just, it, can you talk about how that actually works? Because it has to do with your, your brain, your nervous system and the muscles. But when you contract and then we relax, your body opens up so much more, like several inches more that you would think I should just be able to do this. Yeah. But you kind of trick your body into, well, let's not say trick, trick or treat. Yeah. Right. You treat your body into doing this movement and opening yourself up. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like, so something that I've done over the last decade is a combination of manual therapies like rolfing and cranial sacral work and visceral manipulation and then got into like uh, Thai style body work and acro yoga and just all sorts of weird stuff. And that you know, has been various different like little wormholes I've, I've, I've went down and I'm still going down. Um, and one of the techniques you could say that I'll do with clients occasionally would be taking them deeper into a pattern. Uh, so if a person has a shoulder thing like you're describing, uh, sometimes what you can do is, and this is a metaphor for relationships, so you don't have to be a massage therapist or you know, a rolfer for this to be relevant, uh, you can hold that pattern for them as opposed to them feeling the need that they need to hold it themselves. And then so I'll actually take them into that. So as opposed to being the guy that's like, you know, you're, you have a relationship with an alcoholic. 
and you're like, you jerk, like you, you're ruining the fat, what are you doing? Pushing them out of the pattern. What if we go, I got this kind of from a woman called Byron Katie. Uh, what if we go the opposite and we love the pattern? You know, we go in like, okay, like you need alcohol. Like, okay, like let's, you know, I'll be with you while you drink. Mm. And I'm going to love your pattern. I'm going to love you where you're at. And then sometimes what that can create at a neuromuscular level, again, I'm kind of bouncing back from like metaphor to literal, you know, you know bicep tendon stuff. Um, at a neuromuscular level, if we can take that pattern into, I'm describing a passive approach right now. I'll get back specifically to the contract relax. Um, we can start to, that, that person will start to feel safe enough to release it. From the contractive place, we're doing something where we're kind of sending the signal that like, okay, he's, he's supported, he's, he's contracting enough. So I deeply, deep down, I don't need to maintain that contraction because his nervous, nervous system's already kind of going overboard and contracting already. So, okay, so I'm going to back up and kind of release that contraction for a little while because I'm getting the signal that he's well contracted in that place. So you can kind of play your nervous system. Um, I know I bounced around from like more of like a, like a therapeutic perspective um, back to just like doorway stretch. Uh, but we can play our nervous system just the way we can play, um, you know, from a physical perspective also in like a, like a talk therapy perspective or like any relationship. Like you working in your body, what you are doing is you're gaining a relationship with your body. Mm, and a right. person that has a deep relationship with their body is an invaluable asset. You know, so if you're with a person that's like, I have a lot of friends that are, um, you know, they're, they're like world-renowned parkour athletes and ninja warrior athletes and extreme whatever, slackline, highline, all that stuff. The amount of physical intelligence and, and, and depth of relationship that they have with their body is something that is, it's, it, there's no way to replicate it. No robot will ever be able to do that. It's just, it's like, there is something special about that. You know, and you think, and I, I know I'm kind of jumping away from contract relax, but I think this is, is interesting. You know, a robot to be able to do a computer algorithm could do like chess and beat the world's best chess master. You know, it's like, it's not that big of a deal. But get a robot to do what we've been doing this whole time and reach out, grab a cup of tea, bring it up to your lips, drink the tea and bring it back down and not make a big clank and knock the mic over and all that stuff huge deal we haven't figured that out yet you know and so we put so much emphasis in our culture i think of like wow like you're great at chess that's amazing i think that is amazing um but i don't think there's as much value put um from what i see in uh cultivating a physical relationship with yourself yeah yeah, yeah. that's powerful man um one of the things that you mentioned a little bit ago was our being on our phones mm -hmm. and Thank that you. posture with the head down shoulders slumped forward, that is indicative of our posture when we are sad or depressed. Yeah. And we're putting ourselves in that position more frequently being on our device. So I just wanted to throw that out there for folks because we might not be aware that we're doing it and start to even just change your posture when you're on your phone. Um, but with that said, something that also helps to kind of open us up and to decompress is getting our hang on. And you talk yeah. about that in the book specifically, which I was really happy to see. Talk about that, um, the importance of hanging and decompression. Yeah, so that was, yeah, as you were saying, the AC joint stuff, that was like, I was like, oh, hanging chapter, like, that's it, that's the medicine. You know, and so arguably, uh, 
it's not arguable that our shoulders are built to brachiate or to hang. It's just a fancy word for hanging. Um, uh, whether that comes from ancestral roots of arboreal creatures hanging through trees or whatever, I don't really care. Um, what we do know for sure is that our shoulders hang better than that of, of monkeys. Like apes and humans, that's the more appropriate name for monkey bars. It'd be like human bars or ape bars. <laughs> like monkey yeah. bars is a total misnomer. Like we do it better. Um, you know, and so perhaps there is some key in the lock mechanism there that, okay, cool, we're structured to do this for whatever reason. Maybe it would make sense to do that and just see how it goes. And what you find, there's, a, there's an interesting book called Shoulder Pain by a guy called Dr. John Kirsch, who's an orthopedic surgeon that uh, saw patients for shoulder impingement and issues with like AC joint and all that. And what he started tinkering with was what if I start to just give them this simple, free, easy, safe uh, hanging protocol. And just each day, and this is we break this down in the, the hanging chapter of the book and the five principles. Um, each day, what if we just hang for a total of a minute and a half? You know, so you get a pull-up bar in between your office, like in between here would be great. Uh, and every time you walk through that door, just give a little, woo, like swing through, like have a moment, even smile for bonus points. Uh, and what you're doing as you go through that motion is you're literally restructuring the shape of the shoulder girdle. And what John Kirsch found with his work with, with patients was that a ridiculously high percentage of the time, he said 99%, I find that hard to believe, but that's, that's, what, the, that's what they said in the book. I never met John Kirsch personally, uh, but a very high percentage of the time, the shoulder pain would go away just based off of this simple hanging protocol. So that's just one component to that. Um, and I know we got to wrap up, so I'll, I'll, I'll wind it up. Um, that is also opening up that space in between the ribs. You know, so all of a sudden, all those intercostal muscles and all that space with the diaphragm, you're getting, you're like opening up those bags. You know, so imagine your viscera, your organs, it's almost like, imagine like if you were paragliding and you wanted to get full wind in that sail, that's the way the kite flies. If you collapse a part of the sail, the kite doesn't fly anymore. If you collapse a part of your lungs or your liver or your kidneys or your heart, all of a sudden the, the Sean kite doesn't sail so well. And so as you're going through and just raising up those visceral bags, i.e. you know all of your organs, you are literally opening them up to start to begin that process of healing. Mm -hmm. So something as simple as that that costs you absolutely nothing. You know the things that are the most healing for the most part are darn close to free. You know, pull-up bars maybe thirty bucks, but you could get a tree branch, you know, or find a doorway or anything if you want to do like rock climbing crimps or something. Human bars. Human bars. Get yourself a human bar. <laughs> you know, and so the the effect of that, and that's you know, there's like uh, lots more free uh, remedies throughout the book, yeah. um, but that's one that, I mean, it's invaluable. And then the kind of trickle down or trickle up the long-term effect of that would be uh, the impact on your postural patterns. So now my shoulders start to come back. Maybe that forward head posture starts to recede a bit. Maybe I have a little bit more elongation through my spine. My breath calms down. I'm breathing more with my diaphragm. I have better organ function. Uh, I feel more at home in my body. I'm also longer, more stacked, more confident. That every time I look in the mirror, I perceive myself a little bit differently. Every time I walk into a room, people perceive me differently. I'm creating this feedback loop. And I have a new belief system around myself. And now all of a sudden, I've changed my whole freaking life because you know, I picked up this book and started hanging for a couple minutes a day. So the little tiny minute shifts that we create that we may not think deeply into in the moment 
as they aggregate, you know, a little eventually becomes a lot. And just adding a little bit of hanging each day eventually can become a really big deal. Yeah, man, there's so much good stuff in this book. And so many other things I want to talk to you about, but I want people to pick the book up for sure. Um, the, the chapter on floor sitting mm. being a foundational piece, man, so good. And also information about how to structure our, our environment around us to encourage better alignment. So, so much good stuff in there. So um, definitely pick up the book, The Align Method. It's out right now. Mm -hmm. You can grab a copy. And I've got one final question for you, man. What is the model that you're here to create for other people? Mm. What is the model you're creating with how you live your life personally? I think the first thing that comes to mind with that would be uh, releasing shame. If you're harboring shame of some aspect of yourself, um, I don't see value in that. And I, you know, if doing workshops or, you know, mostly like just walking into a room, oftentimes I heard Jim Carrey say, like, the reason that he was so kind of like his personality was so explosive and out there and wacky and ridiculous was that he was creating spaciousness for other people to kind of stretch beyond their like normal boundaries. Um, and so that would be something, a model that I'm seeking to, to, uh, to be in my own self is just the process of like, you know, I like loving everything. You know, so if there's anything within yourself that you don't love, I think it's possible to love it. Mm. Uh, and the sooner that you get down to loving it, I think the sooner then we can start to evolve into a, a more comfortable place. Awesome, man. Can you let everybody know where to pick the book up? Where can mm. they find the book and where can they connect with you online? Yeah. Uh, I mean, Amazon, bookstores, you know, wherever you get books, uh, The Align Method. Um, and everything for me is at Align Podcast. So I host a podcast that I'd love to have you back on whenever you want to. We've done, I think we've done two episodes or so in the past. Yeah, it's been a minute. Yeah. yeah. And this is, this is interesting. Uh, this present moment is actually immensely big deal because I've already told you, you were, were I would say, I think maybe the first uh, podcast that I started uh, I kind of have somewhat of like an obsessive personality in, in certain ways. And <laughs> me so, too. Yeah. <laughs> and so this was the, the beginning of me obsessing over podcasts. And so I was at my place in Bend, Oregon. And I mean, I have a very tangible uh, vision of me sitting on the ground, um, listening to your podcast and repeating and taking notes. And I was thinking this morning, I was like, I don't actually know where that like insatiable thirst for the information that you were putting out was coming from. I don't actually know why I was doing it exactly. Um, but then that was the beginning of eventually starting my own podcast based off of, in large part, your influence. And then you were the first person, Sean Stevenson, to say yes to come on my podcast five years ago. And that was the beginning of me uh, believing that there was something to this. So absolutely, uh, you are a pivotal part of the creation of this book. Bro, that's so powerful, man. <laughs> Love you, dude. Thank you, Thank you so much, man. Yeah. You know, and I knew, you know, certain people you just, you could see like they got the juice. Yeah. You know what I mean? And over time, you've just developed into this incredible person and people are just, you know, attracted to you. And uh, the people that I know that know you love you. And man, it's just been really cool to see. And I'm so pumped for your new book. And it's so well written. We talked about this before the show. It's it's well written. The the studies that are in there, the stories, it's just it's a it's a it's a masterpiece, man. 
right out of the gate. So thank you, man. Thank you for coming on. Thank you, brother. Awesome. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning into the show today. I hope you got a lot of value out of this. I'm smiling from ear to ear. Uh, This is just what Aaron makes us feel, man. And um, very, very happy for this experience. And I think that this book is going to bring a lot of value to your life because it's not just about our nutrition. It's not just about, you know, getting out there and grinding with our exercise and our sleep practices. All of these things matter, our community but it's in the subtle things, it's in our subtle movement, it's in the way that we carry ourselves in the 99% of the time that we're not working out and to be more mindful of those things because those can be a huge domino that literally transforms our lives in all of those other areas. So really pumped about that. Pick up the book, The Align Method right now. It's out everywhere books are sold and we've got some epic episodes coming up very soon. So make sure to stay tuned. I appreciate you so very much for tuning in. If you got a lot of value out of this episode, tag me, share this on Instagram, Facebook, all the good stuff, and tag Aaron as well. And let us know what you thought about the episode. Instagram handle? At Align Podcast, A-L-I-G-N Podcast. At Align Podcast. And check out the podcast too, all right? I appreciate you guys so much. Have an incredible day. Take care, and I'll talk with you soon. And for more after the show, make sure to head over to themodelhealthshow.com. That's where you can find all of the show notes. You can find transcriptions, videos for each episode. And if you got a comment, you can leave me a comment there as well. And please make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating to let everybody know that the show is awesome. And I appreciate that so much. And take care. I promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help you transform your life. Thanks for tuning in.